In today's episode, we celebrate a song that was ubiquitous in the early 2000s. And I learned what ubiquitous means. We also discuss white chicks, but refuse to watch the movie. And Bill and I learn what a riff is. So I hope you are excited, as we are here at Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, to discuss Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles. Okay, I'm going to set the stage for you here, Bill. The year's 2002. You cannot go a thousand miles without hearing this song at least 10 times. That is a well-set stage. If I could fall into the sky, do you think time went past me by? How can you? So, Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles. Big, huge, huge song in 2002. Her first single off of her first album, Be Not Alone? Yes. That song was absolutely everywhere that year. Absolutely everywhere. Do you remember where you first heard the song, generally? I can't remember the first place I actually heard the song, but there is a distinct memory going to the beach with a bunch of friends. I think you were involved as well. And we're all in a car. You'd cram as many as you could into into one car. I think there were six of us and there's five seats or something like that. And driving down the highway. And I really remember that piano, the coming on and every, like, well, and I don't want to stereotype here, but I'm going to stereotype all the girls in the car. Just say, I love this song. And I'm just like, I love this song too. It's so nice. But- I know you, like me, didn't say that out loud. Oh, no, 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 no. No. I remember hearing this driving to work, because this is 2002, and both you and I are just about beginning our professional careers. I think you got started a year earlier than me. Yeah, So I have my first job, and I'd be driving to school where I worked. I'm not in school anymore. I'm in school. But you're not taking school. I'm getting paid to teach school, to be in school. Okay. I'm driving to work, and I can remember this song coming on the radio. And usually I would turn the station with female singer-songwriters who sound like this. I know this hurts you because yeah, this is your jam. Yeah, this I was all about female singer-songwriters. I still am. Carly Rae Jepsen, look me up. But I wasn't really into it, but I couldn't resist that piano. And so I would always leave it on, even though usually I would change the station. But if this song came on, I always listened to it the whole way through, even though it wasn't the music I was into. Yeah. But it's infectious. And I feel it fits in wherever you're at. So you were working in an office. Did it have music playing? Yeah. And was this song playing? Absolutely. I think I heard it every day of that year. I don't think there was a day that went by where it didn't come on. And it's one of those songs that I hear it a lot, but I don't really get tired of it ever. No, and I still don't. And so it had been a long time since I had thought about this song, but I got a text from our good friend Austin, who is... Niagara's premier 
karaoke singer. And he just sent me a video, just without explanation, it was a video. And it turns out he's in Toronto watching Vanessa Carlton. And he took a video of her singing this song oh, and just sent it to me. Oh, that's awesome. And that's awesome. where it just kind of made me realize we had to do this song. Yeah, absolutely. So, Austin, this one's for you. Yeah, thanks for the inspiration. You're the meaning in our lives. But before we jump into this too much, I'm also going to bring up the fact that today is Bill Hauser's 46th birthday, and he has selflessly left his family behind to come to the Winchester and to record this episode. So this is for Austin. Bill, this episode's also for you and for your 46th birthday. And in honor of your birthday, Bill, the beer's on me tonight. Well, thank you very much, and I wasn't expecting that. So thank you. Thank you. I know my family was thrilled that I was leaving them tonight to come here to record the podcast. Being at Mother's Day, Ashley was super thrilled. Yeah. So she also says thanks to you, but I feel like the tone was different than the tone you gave me for my happy birthday. I actually asked Ashley questions about this song because she knew this song. Yeah. And because we talked about its ubiquity in terms of where it existed in the world, everywhere, ubiquity is like ubiquitous. Yeah, that doesn't help me. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to the Ashley's actually portion. That's for song can analysis. We, can we also go back to the dictionary so we understand <laughs> yeah, what you're word you're using? That's good, yeah. All right, I'll try to... Uh, I'll Dumb try it down? To, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to find another word for it. This song is a double-edged sword for Vanessa Carlton because it's made her career in a sense. Yes. But yeah. it also defined her career in such a way that she couldn't really move in any other direction. Because this was her first single and her first hit. And in a way, her only hit. Yeah, I think we both watched the same little uh, half hour long documentary on this song. And her sort of warning in it is, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And then you realize it's not what you wanted. Right. I do have a story similar to Vanessa Carlton's. She talked about this was like being a writer and the first essay you wrote in high school ended up being the thing that everybody read. Yeah. And no matter what you did afterwards, even though you got better, no one cared because they just read your first essay. Yeah. Yeah. I I read that too. And similar for me on the writing thing, when I was in grade three, I wrote a story called The Blue Cat and it got submitted for a short story contest for primary students. And it actually came second place. And in a sense, I never reached those heights again as a writer. It's difficult to write against elementary school kids now because, you know, I mean, you're so much older. So you have that working against you. You've, you've lost that sense of wonder and awe, I think. Yeah. And, you know, the story of the blue cat was special in his own way because he was a blue cat. And on the same note, he was actually a detective and he solved some, um, some crimes. I don't think they were murders because I was in grade three and I didn't want to write so dark. Yeah. But he definitely did foil some robberies. It does pain me to talk about this because it got the silver medal. And the one that won was uh, a story called Which Witch is Witch. And it didn't even hold together um, logically. There was no witches in it. I think it was like a switcheroo story. But by then, I think vice versa might have been out, like Father Like Son. There was nothing out about blue cats. So mine was the most original. I know we're talking about Vanessa Carlton. But if I can find it, I'll try to post it on the show notes, my story. There's no way I'm going to find it, though. So are, are you still remembered as the author of The Blue Cat? 
Yeah, the kids often don't call me Mr. Hauser. They say, hey, Mr. Guy who wrote Blue Cat when he was in grade three. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Do you feel that you peaked in grade three or no? Well, I'm hoping this podcast will prove that girl who wrote Which Witch is Witch wrong. Yeah. And that girl was Vanessa Carlton. (laughs) So Vanessa Carlton... And this is something that's completely bonkers to me because she went away to school in New York. She's from small town Pennsylvania, and she goes away to New York to study ballet at the age of 14. I moved away to university at 19 years old. I was barely ready at 19 to live basically an hour away from home. At 14, going away at the American Ballet Institute or whatever uh, whatever yeah. the name of the school was. I find that amazing. Like, I have a 14-year-old nephew. It's like, there's no way he's ready to leave home. And it wasn't a great experience for her. No, right? no, she so had th- a terrible time there. Yeah, and so she found solace in actually playing the piano. Yeah, yeah, because I guess she started, like, skipping classes and just writing music. And so when did this song get written? She, well, she wrote this when she was in her late teens or early 20s, when she right? was When she was 17, she wrote that iconic piano beginning. Right. It didn't really get finished. So the bones of the song were written basically in her late teens. And that piano line, I don't know if you call it a piano line. Sure. But whatever that is called is so incredible. That is the song. And it's iconic. You hear that and you can't not know what the song is. Even if you haven't heard the song for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Well, it can't be 30 years because it's only 21 years old. But even if you haven't heard the song for a long, long time, those opening three notes, you know right off the hop exactly what song you're singing. Because you're going to sing this song. Oh, yeah. And so the story goes that she realized she wanted to be a singer-songwriter. And so she ended up being a... I think she dropped out of school. She went to university or college for a bit and dropped out of it. Mm-hmm. Then went and did waitressing, but then would play at like open mic nights. Yeah. And then she got signed by our man. Jimmy Iovine was involved because uh, she got signed with Interscope. That's right. Or is it A&M Records? Is that the same thing? Well, I, I think there was all A&M, Interscope, and Geffen were all part of this big conglomeration. Right. And so Jimmy Iovine figures well in the story in terms of her first go-round with the record company. She was working with someone she didn't get on with. Yeah. Things weren't going well. And so she flew to LA to meet with Jimmy Iovine and say, I don't want to work with this guy that you put me with and basically put it down that she was willing to be dropped by the label. Yeah. And he decided to keep her. The uh, the story, the way I heard the story go was Jimmy Iovine gave like a handful of CDs to one of the producers, Ron Fair. Yeah. And it was basically like, uh, give him a listen. If there's anything good there, let me know if there's any hidden gems in there. Right. Which was basically, if there's nothing, these guys are getting dropped. So it was all these artists who were signed, but uh, probably not going to go anywhere. And this is after she kind of laid down the ultimatum that she wasn't working with the other guy. So Ron Fair is listening to a bunch of the CDs and then stumbles upon a song called Interlude. Yeah. Which is deep within the Vanessa Carlton album. I think it was called Rinse. That they never released. Yeah. But there's a song called Interlude, which is an early version of this song. Mm-hmm. And he loses his mind. Yeah. He said that he listened to that song like an hour and a half, like just on repeat. Yeah. 
and he said to Jimmy Iovine, this is a hit. This is a hit. It's going to be huge. And so Ron Fair works with Vanessa Carlton and pretty much like does what great producers kind of do, which is work them until they hate the song they're doing. They fight the whole way through yeah. certain even parts of it, but he knows what's going to sound best. And so he arranges it. So he brings in that orchestra. Yeah. And he brings her voice to certain levels that she didn't really want to go to, but he mm-hmm. drives her to it. Yeah. The impression that I get is they worked well together. And they had their disputes and everything, but I think they have a good relationship through the whole process. And even afterwards, I think Ron Fair spoke highly of Vanessa Carlton. And Vanessa Carlton, she felt warm feelings for Ron. (laughs) I like that. I didn't know how else to say it. She definitely has a complicated relationship to the song. So like you said, she appreciates Ron Fair. She likes Ron Fair. Mm -hmm. But this song is something she said she hated. In this interview we saw, and it was during COVID, so she was living at her parents' house, and you hear her mom in the background, I love this song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, she couldn't even do the interview without her mom piping in. Yeah. And um, still, this song is incredible, and he made all the right calls. And yeah. even though she still, even when she plays it live, she slows it down, I think plays it more interlude style, but he was right. It's a little faster, punchier, if that's the term. Yeah. And joyous even though it's kind of depressing to thematically because she wrote the song when she was in at the american uh institute of ballet that's right i'm guessing it's attached to juilliard in some way shape or form it was for a student a male student yeah from what we can gather because she used the word he yeah who was at juilliard and she wouldn't say the name of the person because as she said he's a famous actor now yeah so i got two names I got a bunch of names okay. that was brought up. Right. Okay. So you and I are both reading the same Reddit thread? No, I got it from Song Facts. Oh, okay. Well, well, why don't you tell me the names of them? I only got two, so let's hear yours. I only recognize three of the names. Okay. Let's go with the recognizable ones because they're a big star. Fr- uh, Bill and Frank will know them. Yeah. Well, not personally necessarily, but we know who they are. And we've written songs about them. Yeah. And I'm sure that they know who we are because of this podcast. Uh, Wes Bentley, who is on Yellowstone. Yep. Alan Tudyk, who has been on everything, basically. He was on Firefly, Dodgeball, and other things that- Soap operas. Was he on soap operas? I don't know. I'm just throwing that in there. I was worried about the dead space. Yeah. (laughs) And then Glenn Howerton, who is on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Right. Those are my two names. There was Wes Bentley and Glenn Howerton, according to my- uh, Reddit friends said, these are the most likely two since they seem to be the most famous. Oh, okay. And because she dated that guy from Third Eye Blind after this album, whether that's a good idea or not, we're not here to judge. Although if you listen to our Third Eye Blind episode, you could probably guess what our... What our thoughts on that are. (laughs) The Reddit people seem to think it was Wes Bentley because he seemed to be the more classically attractive of the two. Okay. And she dates good looking guys. Gotcha. She never dated me. (laughs) You anticipated my joke. No, it's not a joke. You're a good-looking guy. Well, thank you, Bill. This podcast does great because they don't see our faces, though. Exactly. 
It's the one thing that's holding us back. Should we dive into the song? I think so, yeah. Okay, and then we, because there's more I want to talk about, but I feel we can come back to that. Make them away downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound. 10 seconds in, she jumps in. And I'm always surprised when she starts singing. It's almost an aggressive entry. Yeah. But before we get too much further into the into the song, we just played the intro just to get ourselves reoriented with it. And those pianos come on and I know that it's coming, but it's goosebumps every single time. My hairs are standing, uh, the hairs on my arm are standing on edge here. And oh, I love this song. Yeah, I felt the same. Every time I hear it, I don't get bored of that piano yeah. thing. Line. Line. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad. Do you know I have my grade five piano, Royal Conservatory? You mentioned that every other episode. Yeah, yes. but they never taught me what that piano thing was. Yeah. Well, that's why you never got your grade six. Yeah. And I think I probably had about 71% on the exams each way. Not yeah. a very strong student. Yeah. Counting was tough. Speaking of counting... I asked Ashley if she would help out on this episode, and this will surprise you. She said yes. And then got nervous, saying, I'm not ready to just talk about all these things. Like, you're already a musician. You just got to tell me the following things. Number one. Do you think that we're ever ready when we show up and record? Well, that's how good we are. Yeah. So I said to her, what beat does she come in on? Because it surprises me. Are you ready for this? It's beat one. Oh. Are you also ready for this? I have no idea what that means. No, I neither yeah. do I. But I said to her, that's... It's really ubiquitous. <laughs> uh, no, it's not, but oh. <laughs> a good try. <laughs> she uh, she basically said to me, it wasn't surprising. I said, it's surprising. She's like, well, not really. I said, but the way she comes in, I didn't expect it. Don't yeah. people usually come in on two? And then she just looked at me as if I didn't know what I was talking about. Because you don't. No, I no. don't. But I still think it's surprising when yeah. she says, making my way downtown. Because it's it has that nice little melodic piano thingy line. Yeah. And then drums voice. Bam! Making my way downtown. See, you just got scared when I sang it. Goosebumps. <laughs> Let's go through that verse anyways. Let's, okay. Can we do that? Um, all right. Because you know what? I didn't really know what she was saying totally. Her voice is... Uh, it's a little... Is it okay to say babyish? Well, she was young when she recorded. I guess so. She says she sounded like Minnie Mouse, and she didn't like okay. her voice. Okay. And I I don't want to use the term babyish, but there's a style of singing called cursive. And... I thought that was a way of writing. Well, that's what Ashley said to me when I said, hey, is it cursive? She goes, it's not a way of writing. I'm like, no, I, I learned this. It was mentioned by some blogger. <laughs> but, but it's a way of singing that a bunch of people started doing in the late 2000s. Now, she's early 2000s, but I feel it's precursive. Okay. And so, Regina Spector, Amy Winehouse, Jesse Reyes, Lord, Sia? 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 Zia? Sia. Sia. Sia also had this sort of way of singing. I don't know how... I don't know if it's the way they sing vowels. It's something about it. Okay. kind of drives me crazy. Okay. But they don't have piano riffs like this. No. Oh, it's a riff. That, yeah. oh, that's a riff. Yeah, okay. Should we re-record everything else that we've said to this point so we get riff back in there? I feel like our listeners want to experience the journey of our own musical... Uh, Ineptitude? I was going to say ubiquity. education. Oh. Yeah. The ubiquity Is it, of our... 
Was that our the, journey? Was that the right? No, neither no. was mine. Actually. Okay, <laughs> but I'm going to bring up ubiquitous ubiquity, and you're going to be ready for it. Anyways, her voice is something I'm still trying to make my peace with, but I find it unique. Okay, I kind of like it. Right. Okay, and the jury's out for me, but actually the jury's not out. The jury came back in and they heard the piano riff, and they were all over it. Okay, here we go. Back to me without judgment. Who are we kidding? I'm always judging. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound. Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making a way through the crowd. And I need you, and I miss you, and now I wonder. Before the, uh, and I need you, that's when the orchestra comes in. Oh my goodness. That's a Ron Fair MVP performance. Because I have written down here the most important things in this song. Or the piano, orchestra, and then Everything voice. Else. Yeah, but that piano is so great, but the orchestra really just takes it over the edge. And it does remind me of a song by an artist that you may be obsessed with. Carla Rae Jepsen? That's the one. Yeah. And her song called? Call Me Maybe. Yeah. And that has a bit of an orchestra yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orchestra uh, hits? Orchestra hits. Bit of a sam- Now, do you think this is a sample or is this an actual orchestra in there? I think they brought in the orchestra to play specifically. It, w- it wasn't a sample, I think. Right, right. I mean, we could look it up, but we're just going to go with thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with my gut on this one. <laughs> okay. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass and I'm homebound. Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making my way. I like that they go straight to the verse and the verse moves quick. We jump to the chorus within what time does the chorus come in? Let me just find it here. 40 seconds in, they're already at the chorus. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. And in terms of our era of the streaming, you want to get to your hook and your chorus as soon as possible. Yeah. And this is put together in such a way that it's infectious and it's going to keep you listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hit into the chorus. If I could fall into the sky, do you think time would pass me by? Because you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you tonight. Nice pause. Pregnant pause. If I could fall into the sky, do you think time would pass me by? Chorus is kind of like a great example of hyperbole. Let me tell Thanks. you about hyper. Uh, sorry about that. Where's <laughs> <laughs> our friend Bruce to come in to give you more poetic devices? Bruce, I know you're listening. You'll love this. Bruce Soderholm, who's been on a couple times, was also my English teacher back in high school. So he's going to be proud of this. But everything she's saying is over exaggeration or scientifically impossible. So the first line is if I could fall into the sky. I was wondering about that too. Like, how does this work? Is she above the sky? 
She's falling in the upwards. stratosphere? Falling upwards. Oh, it's like how I fail. <laughs> we can unpack that later when we turn <laughs> off these mics. And then she asked, do you think time would pass me by? I'm kind of curious what that means, if she's going quantum maybe on this, but we'll go back to this. And then she say, because you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you tonight. Now, I did some serious research during bath time. I should have probably been paying more attention to Elijah while he was in the bath, but I was right in front of him. He's fine. But it turns out that if you're going to walk a thousand miles from where we live, which is near Niagara Falls, Ontario, you would get to somewhere in between Savannah and Jacksonville in Florida. But you can't walk that in a day. No, and that's the thing. So she wants to see him tonight, but she's willing to walk a thousand miles. But to walk a thousand miles is going to take her days. Yes. I mean, but she won't get there. Right? I mean, so if you were going to walk a thousand miles to see someone, I have this written down as a special question just for you. <laughs> okay. When would you just quit and just realize that you weren't really that into the person after all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm a very stubborn person, so I think I... I think I would go pretty long into it. I'd go at least two weeks, and then I would just like, well, screw this. I'm yeah. done. I think you'd probably quit around Dollywood, somewhere <laughs> down there. <laughs> if we're, in terms of the journey I was mapping out for yeah. us. Because we'd stop off in Dollywood on the walk, because well, yeah. one must do this. Yeah. What do you think about this one, Frank? Just going back to the falling thing, mm-hmm. she's falling to heaven. Does gravity not apply to her? Uh, yeah, well, maybe with love, it undoes you from gravity, which would make walking a lot easier or harder. Would it I be think it'd be to, harder. Would it be harder to walk? Because you have no friction. Right, but then could you make a bigger leap if you weren't being held down by gravity? But then you just float away. Oh, could you, how would you get back down? You wouldn't. Hmm. Because you're falling into the sky. Oh, man, we need to get a scientist on this. Who's our... Best science-tician friend. Luke, I don't think he's going to listen to this episode for a long time. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll we'll come back to this. Let's get to uh, verse two. It's always times like these when I think of you and wonder if you ever think of me. Because everything's so wrong and I don't belong living in your precious memory. Because I need you and I miss you. And now I wonder... I kind of really like that verse a lot because this is about a unrequited love. This is a crush that she had that she never ever talked to, mm-hmm. but saw. And this is her trying to express her feelings to someone who she'll never speak to. I like that the line, and I wonder if you ever think of me because everything's so wrong and I don't belong living in your precious memories. It's depressing, but it's, do you think about me? It's like, but I don't belong with you. Like, it's one of those, he is so far above where she believes that she is, that she doesn't live up 
to the standards, whoever this Wes Bentley guy is. And living in your precious memory, the way she sings it, yeah. includes that sort of pain and resignation. Yeah. And it immediately brings me back to high school. <laughs> right. Pain and resignation. Yeah, yeah that brings well, me back to no. high school. Too. Well, you know, there's people you probably liked that you never talked to. And if you did, oh, yeah. it would be so... You'd be such a passerby in her life. Yeah. That sound about right? Pretty much. Yeah. And then I would get this sort of negative self-talk that would keep yeah. me gravitized. Yeah. So you wouldn't fall into the sky. Yeah. But if I fell into the sky. Would time pass you by? And then maybe I'd even walk those thousand miles. It'd be easy to walk those thousand miles if they were upwards. No. 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 What if you if you move your feet while you're falling up? Because you're not really walking then. You're just floating. The atmosphere would do you in. Yeah. And a thousand miles, there's no oxygen at that point if you're just floating into the air. So yeah. at least I don't think. Like, how high does oxygen go? Uh, Pretty high. Yeah. But I think it's like it's hot up there. The whole Icarus thing. That's how he died. Yeah. Yeah. After we repeat the chorus, we go straight to bridge. Yeah. And I like this. And I I don't want to let you know. I I drown in your memory. Oh, man, if this is not a teenage poem, I don't know what is. I know. I don't want to let this go. I, I don't. What a way to just stop. It's yeah. It's just like, ah. Uh, it's like, she can't even. Am I right? <laughs> it's, you are right. And it works because it's so depressing. However, with the piano, it makes it uplifting. Yeah. And so this makes us all part of her collective depression. And I'm just picking up on this now, too, because the song is pretty melancholy. It's a contradiction song because the piano is so uplifting and and bouncy and the orchestra, same thing. It really pops and hits and it makes you feel happy. But the, the lyrics are just like, this is getting dark. So you have the piano that is actually lifting you upwards, but you have the lyrics that are actually pressing you down. And so this is a song that keeps you in a state of equilibrium. Like, stop it, please. No, I know what that means. Okay, good, good. That's it for sort of lyrics that are that are new in the song because it repeats the first verse again and it repeats the chorus. But there are things that go on musically throughout it. Yes. There's a point that you and I listened to this before we started the podcast and we both wrote down notes at the same time. Okay. What did you write down? I wrote down when she sings in the verse, the second time when she sings, there's these little chimes that come through. Yep. And it's just like, oh, I've never heard that before until we listened to the song again right before we recorded. I'm just like, it's always been there, but I just picked up on it. And it's just like, oh, that like that's a n- nice, like, I don't know what it is about it, but it just really stuck at that moment. It's just like, that works so really, really well right there. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass and I'm homebound. 
that's a grace note, I think. At least that's what I think it is with this sure. little, yeah, because it's like, it's those little additions that make it just right. Yeah. And this is where the production is so incredible that Ron Fair made these right decisions. Yeah. And even there's a moment later on where she goes higher. Yes. And I saw that in the documentary yeah. as well. But I, she didn't want to go there. Yeah. And he's like, you have to go there. And he's right because it just brings all that emotional power to it. Yeah. I did write something about that as well because it's the third time through the chorus. It starts off really, really easy, but it's stripped down. It's just vocals. If I could fall into the sky and then it starts to build yeah through it and then you hit the last time through the chorus and that's when she really goes up a notch and steps it up for that if i could fall into the sky but she really powers into it it's incredible it's great yeah and so i know from the performance she recently did she doesn't go there okay because it keeps it toned down i don't know that's the thing about just getting older yeah it could be i hope as we're getting older and I'm definitely getting older today, <laughs> that we just keep pushing it, hitting those notes. So yeah, that's pretty much the song, but should we jump into the video here? Yeah. I'm excited because that documentary watch is by Vice. Yeah. They talked about the video first. And so the video came because Ron Fair fought so hard for this song to be promoted. Mm-hmm. And so they made the video. And the video is super original. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of the director of the video. Do you have it there? Uh, Mark Klasfeld. And so I think he's a pretty well-respected director. Mm-hmm. And his idea of having her play piano... While they had her on like a flatbed? Yeah. Or were they just pushing it along tracks? I think, well, there's definitely parts where she's on a flatbed. Yeah. And this is crazy to me because I remember watching the video and just like, oh, it's just her and there's a green screen behind her. It's like, no, but all that was shot live. Live, no green screen. And what threw me off is just like, there's no way. They didn't do this live. But then they showed a shot from the video and it's that scene with the horses running on the beach. They're doing this wide angle shot and you see Vanessa Carlton sitting on this flatbed and there's horses on a beach running behind her. It's like, this was all live. This is crazy. I would love to have a version of the video without any music because she's playing on a piano that has you no... Know, you can just put the computer on mute, <laughs> okay. right? Oh, I totally set myself up for that. I want a version where you just hear her banging on a piano that has no strings. Oh, okay. And then you can hear the horses neighing yeah, in the yeah. background <laughs> and the water crashing. But she's out there playing as though she's singing and it's convincing. Yeah. Well, I guess this helps when you're, I don't know, 14 years old and you go to ballet school. Yeah. And you kind of know how to act and all that stuff. Yeah. I think she always had like an artistic background yeah. and everything. Turns out she was in that Carol King um Broadway show or just recently. Okay. So she's actually on Broadway. Okay. Oh, cool. At least recently. So she, she, her career is still going just yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. So she's got the flair. Like well, awesome. I saw her in concert. Of course she's still around, right? That's right. That video is like the song in that I can keep watching it over and over again. Yeah. And interestingly, the video took off quicker than the song did on radio. So okay. they were saying that the video was played on MTV a lot, but it wasn't getting any radio play. What was the 
movie that instigated the radio play. And and did you watch this movie? I watched the clips where this came in in the movie. White Chicks. Yeah. And I usually tell you that I watched the film that goes with whatever parts yeah. of the movie. So this is one I just couldn't do it. No, 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 no. Neither can I. White Chicks was like one of the low points of, was it 2002 or 2003? I think it was 2002. Oh, man. it's has all this potential to be a, a good movie. And it's just so, so lowbrow. And it's tough. It's just tough to watch to me. However, the scene where they play this, they play it twice. The first time's not that funny. Yeah. To me. The second time. With Terry Crews? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's one of the great scenes out of a movie that's so terrible, but Terry Crews is so good. The best part about it is he's not acting. He's said, like, I love this song. Like, it is so, like, yeah, no, this is exactly how I'd react to this song. So, we'll post in the show notes. It was only one take. They didn't have to do multiple takes. He nailed it the first time. And you can watch interviews with him on, like, Good Morning America, like, years later. And he still does the song. Like, they, they played the song, and he did the entire sort of dance that he did in the car to it. He yeah. still knows it. Yeah, all the choreography. And for him, he kind of said, this was the first major movie that I was in. Yeah. And so this song, in a sense, set his career in motion. The song actually was in a movie prior to that as well. A small sample of it. Okay. It was in Legally Blonde oh, in wow. 2001. It's interesting that it's used in both these movies where I feel like both of them highlight like wealthy basic girls. Okay. Now, is that what they call them? I think so. What's basic girl mean? I don't know. Like the pumpkin spice lattes, the. Right. You know. Okay. All right. So, okay. That makes sense. So, what's surprising about this? is that it's just not for basic girls. No. It's for everyone. And it is super popular. There's a clip. I couldn't find it's it. It's for me, too. It is and for you. And for you. And for me. But there's this clip of the USA basketball team, maybe in 2008, singing this on an airplane. Oh, really? But I couldn't find it. But there's like a whole clip of them singing. So there's like, everyone loves this song. Yeah. In a sense, it's not just for the basic girls. It's ubiquitous it still doesn't help me means everybody oh gets it. gotcha it's why everywhere. you just say that then well because the word feels so nice to say just showing off because it's your birthday it is before we go off to categories yeah. in terms of history after white chicks apparently this takes off on the radio, and then it just is on there. It goes to number five in the Billboard charts. Number three, I thought. Number three, okay. It's just everywhere. And even though it doesn't reach number one, it might as well, because the amount of radio play it got for the next, well, we're still hearing it. It just keeps going and going and going. Sorry, you are correct. It is number five. Right. Also, I'm going to correct myself when I name the the album. Be Not Nobody, not Be Not Anybody. Okay. So we have a double negative. Yes. I'm not a big fan of the title. I like it. Be Not Nobody. I guess the song is about feeling like a nobody. Yes. Poor Vanessa Carlton. This song just haunts her. Oh, I'm I sure know. it does. And I want to throw this out to Vanessa when she's listening to this podcast. I know you have a complicated relationship with this song. Our relationship with it is one of love. It's still a great, great pop song. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Be proud of it. Yes. I wrote The Blue Cat. You wrote A Thousand Miles. Yes. Let's embrace it. You also didn't reach number one. 
Like I didn't reach number one, but we both deserved number one, didn't we? Yes. Categories. Michael Bolton. I have no. I don't think Michael Bolton actually had him as a yes. Oh, okay. Well, tell me your yes, and I'll tell you my no. My yes is, yeah, Michael Bolton should sing it. Okay. I have, he won't do a great job, but I want to experience it. Yeah. Michael Bolton is brimming with confidence. So this is a song that doesn't resonate with him and his heart song, I don't think. No. And if you shoved him behind a piano, I don't know how it would go. I mean, he was behind a piano for Time, Love, and Tenderness. Yeah. But when he played too much piano, he had to go play basketball, if I recall the video correctly. It's been a while since I've seen the video. Oh, yeah. He played some basketball. So I don't think he could handle just being on the streets. You know what he'd do? He'd jump on one of those horses bareback. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. No question. Full Bolton. Double denim. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Michael Bolton, uh, include this on the cover album, which we now have about 96 songs yeah. he has to do, I'm pretty sure. He has about 12 cover albums he has to sing for us. Do you have a Hallmark movie? plot for this yeah so i was thinking about that a little bit when i say a little bit i mean right now so the main character big time ad exec or whatever from the big city whichever one that may be goes home to rural alabama or no that's sweet home alabama i'm thinking about anyways he ends up going back to the big city only to realize that the woman he should be with is a thousand miles away yeah. But there's some sort of crisis. I don't know. I, in my mind, I don't know if it's post-apocalyptic necessarily or not. Anyways, cars aren't working. He has to walk a thousand miles to see her. Does he die midway through or does he get there? No, he gets there. It's Hallmark. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Does his mom die? Well, probably. From the virus that's killing everyone, including the cars. <laughs> well, this is a zombie Hallmark movie? Kind of. Okay. I don't know. All right. All right. I got Here's my Hallmark movie. In the movie, it's going to feature Vanessa Carlton because she can sing. And she's going to actually be on the back of the flatbed truck playing piano. It's going to start in the city. And it's her personal journey where she just plays music. And as she's leaving the city, it's taking her into the country. And she's playing music and it's bringing joy to everyone around. And she finds meaning. In the song? In the song, she's coming up with things. She's playing lots of different music. But by the time she hits the small town where she grew up, she finds that sort of piano riff and then is able to sing that song about a thousand miles. I like that. Yeah. Hallmark would like that. Hallmark, reach out to us. Mm -hmm. We have our email, for better or worse, on our show notes. Okay, we have a new category brought to us by our special guest at the Winchester. Could you file this under the category as songs you can't dance to? Yeah. If you were to try to dance to this, what would you do? It would be like awkward, like more so than my usual dancing. But it'd be a lot of swaying. It wouldn't really be dancing. It'd just sort of be rhythmic swaying more than anything. Would you dance better to this song or would you dance better at a Dave Matthews concert? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Going early 2000s again. Uh, yeah. And I went to Dave Matthews concert and the dancing was not good. Yeah. Also, I went alone. It was really weird because couples were getting uh, together. Frisky? Yeah. I guess he has that effect. effect. But I felt a little more Vanessa Carlton than Crash Into Me. They do call Dave Matthews the uh, the human Spanish fly, so... Does that mean he spreads viruses? 
No, Spanish fly is like an aphrodisiac. Oh, is it? Sure. Do you eat the Spanish fly? No, it's like a lotion or some sort of perfume or cologne that you put on. It makes people want to have sex. Do you have a mixtape? Yes. I do too. Oh, Good for you, Bill. Thank you. So I went with early 2000s female singers. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So we'll start with Don't Know Why by Noah Jones, Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap, Fallen, Alicia Keys, Everywhere by Michelle Branch, A Moment Like This, Kelly Clarkson, and Finish It Off with Stronger Than Me by Amy Winehouse. That is a tremendous mixtape. I had to hold back. I've said this before. I had to hold back from giving you the sort of preach on thing. I just wanted you to bring it out there. But that was incredible. Now, I'm of two minds for my mixtape. So I've struggled for the last two hours to come up with this. So <laughs> mine was piano-driven pop songs. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So in no particular order. Hmm. No, in particular order. I have Every Little Kiss by Bruce Hornsby in the range. Oh, okay. Nice. I have... I'm still trying to decide as I go through this. (laughs) Here's the thing. I have songs that I feel are too dark for my mix. So I'm sorry, Tori Amos and Fiona Apple. You're going to be cut out, but you'll come back later. I have Jesse by Joshua Cadison. Oh, yes. That's a future episode. I have Your Song by Elton John. The Long and Winding Road by The Beatles. The reason I put that one in is it also has orchestra and piano. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I'm ending with... I don't know if it's a good idea. I'm struggling with this band. Amsterdam by Coldplay. Okay. It's a lovely song. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know, Coldplay. You and I got to do some talking. I'd still put it on the mix. Okay. Now, my other mind had songs with Miles in it. See, I was looking at that too, but all I had was uh, Miles Davis songs. <laughs> That's good. All right. I'm going to tell you some Miles songs just because I have Miles to Go by Celine Dion, written by our man, Corey Hart. That's right, yeah, yeah. And produced by him, too. I have 500 Miles by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mm -hmm. The version I actually like is the one by Justin Timberlake and Casey Mulligan, but it's not available on Spotify. 25 Miles by Edwin Starr. Okay, yep. It's a great song. And finally, I'm going to be 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. Because they also claimed they could walk, but they said 500 miles. But then I realized by listening to the song, it's actually a thousand. Yeah. Because they'd walk 500 miles and then 500 more. Now, could they walk with... Vanessa Carlton? Yeah, on their journey. Well, sure. I think she would like the company. So in the Hallmark movie, or at least one of them, would the Proclaimers actually have like supporting roles? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Or would it be a Hallmark movie where, depending on which region we're in, we'd focus more on the Proclaimers in the one and Vanessa Carlton in the other? So it's like a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. Choose-your-own-country. Gotcha. Gotcha. One more category. It's not really a category, but how will quantum science help us understand how to let Vanessa Carlton's chorus make sense? Well, as a quantum scientician, I can tell you that I have no idea. Well... You're lucky because while I was teaching my calculus class last week, a teacher said to me, hey, Mr. Hauser, could you let Mark do his presentation for the science fair? I said, sure. And he does a presentation on time travel. Okay. It turns out, theoretically, you can go 
back in time if you yeah, are... Yeah, McFly did that. Yeah, but not with the 88 miles per hour and all the kilowatts and all that stuff, but instead gigawatts. it had to do... Was it? Gigawatts. Gigawatts. Yeah, that's a lot more than a kilowatt. It apparently has to do with the speed of light. Or is it gigawatts? Anyway, Gigawatts, that's it. Gigawatts. But it turns out it has something to do with going faster than the speed of light. Yeah. And then there's some sort of rule that means you could go back in time, but it could create multiple universes. Yeah. So she could fall into the sky and time could pass her by if she was willing to create a whole bunch of universes. But in any of those universes, would she get together with the guy? No, because that the, the song isn't about ending up with him. It's a song of wanting and not being able to act on that. So are you saying in all those universes, the blue cat does not win the gold prize for the elementary short well, story? One of those universes, it does, yes, at least in one of them. But I don't think this song works if she ends up with the guy. Okay. I like to think in one of those universes, there's actually a blue cat who doubles as a private detective. And also in one of those universes, Vanessa Carlton is a blue cat. If I can just hold you tonight. Well, I hope you enjoyed our uh, journey through Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles. And I hope you gained a new appreciation for how amazing this song still is. And we thank you for joining us. I just want to let you know that I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you guys tonight. 